everybody. This is Jamie. And this is Paul. And welcome back to another episode of Criminally Disturbed. Yes, thank you for joining us again. Yeah, and we would also like to thank our few, a handful <laughs> of loyal listeners. That's thank right. y'all. Yes, thank y'all very much. And keep listening, because we have a bunch of other stories that are coming up. And uh, not to mention the one that we're on right now, part two of yes. Teresa Knorr. It's finally part two of Teresa Knorr. Yeah. We have been eagerly awaiting to see uh, how this woman turns out and, and what she does in her later life. Well, I'm going to say that obviously in part one, everybody got a kind of a good feel of Teresa. And what kind of person she really was. Right, but... Y'all haven't seen nothing yet. This is going to be good. Right? Okay. Are we ready? Why don't you start out by updating us on how you left this in part one? Well, if everybody remembers in part one, the way we ended is her and Chester had recently divorced after three months of marriage because... Obviously, Teresa and her high morals Mm -hmm. um, weren't really that high like she portrayed them to be. And at one point in time, I guess you had mentioned that psychologists would really refer to her as a projectionist. Yes. If everybody remembers, her ex-husband, Robert, actually took some junior psychology classes, and that was where he learned about people that would project uh, their actions onto other people. And obviously he figured out then that all the years that Teresa was accusing him of cheating, it was actually her that was. So she was projecting that onto him. And I have to say, you know, listening to the story of, you know, during part one, you know, how many of those children that she has were actually, you know, the children of the people or the men that she was with at the time. I was wondering that too, and it never came up where any of the kids, because the book, um, I want to reference it again, where I got my information from, was from Mother's Day by Dennis McDougall. And in the book, I mean, he actually interviews the kids None of them actually ever really said that they suspected that they had another father. Um, Obviously, the oldest two, Howard and Sheila, that they were Cliff Sanders' Mm -hmm. children. And um, I'm going to get into that. Uh, There is a part about that. And then the other four were by Robert Knorr. Mm -hmm. And they all said, like, the oldest two looked alike, and then the other four all resembled each other. I know that don't really mean anything. Mm -hmm. But. So, it, during this time, no visits to Maury Povich? No, yeah. which I don't think Maury was around at that point. I don't it think was, he was around. But if he was, yeah. he would have been busy. I got you. Yeah. All and right. Dr. Phil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's get into part two. Okay. The part I want to start at is we haven't really heard anything from Teresa's sister, Rosemary, in a little while. Right. So, as of right now, she has actually worked her way up to become the Associate Administrative Analyst for the state of California. Okay. Yeah, totally different road than what Teresa has taken. She's doing something. She is doing something herself. Mm-hmm. 
her and her husband, she's still married to Joe. Um, he is still a job hopper, not really employed for long, which is very sad for her. Uh, but they have managed to open two antique stores together, and Joe, he would manage them. And, of course, Rosemary still worked for California. They did end up having two sons together. They had a son named Joseph and one named Danny. Mm -hmm. In November of 1979, their son, Joseph, who was actually born one day after Teresa's oldest, Howard, okay. was born. At this time, he was 16, and he died of acute myocarditis. Mm. Now, that's something with the heart. Is yes, that right? Yes. He had come home from school one day because he wasn't feeling good, and he went to his bedroom, and he laid down, and he, he died after he laid down. Oh, that's so sad. And, of course, his autopsy revealed that that was what happened. Yeah. Wow. So after his funeral, Teresa and Rosemary, they actually got on speaking terms with each other. Okay. And Teresa, obviously Rosemary's doing good, so Teresa borrows money from Rosemary. Of course she does. Of course she does. And she, at the time, doesn't pay her back and starts, you know, hiding from Rosemary. So she ghosted her. She ghosted her. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's get into Teresa and the kids. So after her divorce from uh, Chester, she, I mean, before she married Chester, she was already starting to lose her mind, but now it's become worse. She's become more reclusive, unpredictable, and also more violent. I, I didn't know how she could be more violent than she already was, but. So you said reclusive, mm -hmm. which is pretty much the opposite of what she was Prior right. to this, okay. Yeah, we're not going out to the bars anymore right. and trying to find a new man. Yeah. Money had also become a problem because she was she was working at nursing homes because if everybody remembers, she had become a CNA. It was going to try and work her way up to become an RN. She was taking the classes. Um, I don't know where she got off the tracks on that, but she is still working at nursing homes. But he was cut short because a patient, a male patient, she was trying to move him onto his bed and he actually punched her. And it ended up knocking her to the floor and it hurt her back and her hip. So after that, she, I don't know if she really could work anymore or not, but at this point she takes it as she can't work anymore. <laughs> yeah. So she made the determination, not right. a doctor. Um, I mean, I've yeah. heard of this happening to people, and maybe not in this job, but you know, other jobs where somebody gets hurt on the job and they go back to work. Mm -hmm. Yep. So um, people do it every day. Yep. And at this point, when she doesn't work anymore, she's obviously she's at home all day long, so she's starting to drink more. And of course, the more she drinks, the meaner she became because she's a uh, angry drunk. I guess that's well, what you call it. Yeah. Uh, I I guess they say that, you know, alcohol brings out, you the know, worst. it, it kind of accentuates your worst qualities. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've never had that happen because yeah. I'm more of a silly person. Well, you're a silly person in real life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in the first half, we had already discussed how she was timing the children's visits when they would like go to the grocery store for her. Mm-hmm. But now it has uh, grown to where when they went to school, she would time them. She knew Obviously, she knew what time school let out. Mm -hmm. So she had them timed. 
it never said what her minutes were, like it was with the grocery store, sure. but it's don't be late getting home from school. Possessive. Very possessive. And at this time, they were also, the kids were still involved in church. Okay. And they were allowed to go to church, and she would time them getting home from church. And any time that the family went out together as a family, Teresa, like at the daughters, any of the daughters had to go to the bathroom. Teresa would have to go with them to the bathroom just to make sure they weren't talking to anyone. Now, you say when they would go out as a family, what mm-hmm. kind of family are we talking about here? I mean, what? Her and her kids, mm-hmm. you know, Chester's pretty much left them. Right. So is her dad still in the picture? Her dad, at this time, he's actually in a nursing home. Okay. So we're just talking about her and the kids. Right. As, it's just as her the, and the kids. As the family right. goes out. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. And I'm, I'm going to assume that this is like if they went out to eat or something. From what I gathered, they really didn't go out much because, like I said a few lines ago, she was becoming more reclusive. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is before she actually lost all her marbles. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. She also, you know, she said that she was, her family was descended from the tribe of David. Right. So we, we discussed that in mm-hmm. part one, and it was basically the family of. The crosses. David. Yeah, the yeah. crosses. The yeah. crosses. That's right. So she begins reading from the Bible more, and she would make the kids sit down and listen to her read from the Bible. So was this their version of church? I guess. Okay. I don't know, or just that she's just ranting and raving. But the more she read from the Bible, the more she would twist up the words of the Bible to fit her beliefs and, I guess, to make it fit to justify the actions that she was doing so and that's sad i mean there's people out there that that do that they right. find things in the bible and they uh kind of harp on those things and use them to their advantage or their agendas if you will it's just sad unfortunately i mean this really happens a lot like with cults yeah they do it i guess it just happens more than we think yeah at this time, the children were being beat more on a regular basis. I don't know how you get more regular than they already were, but I guess it's probably now kind of like a daily thing. So is there reasons behind the beatings? Just any reason. Wow. That, any reason that she has, because she's unjustified every reason she has yeah. for well, a beating. I, I mean, it's hard to to justify those kinds of beatings, right. you know. So maybe the kids are starting to come into their own mm-hmm. and, and starting to kind of see, you know, maybe this isn't the place for me, I guess. I don't know. Right. So. And during these beatings, she would have the older boys hold the other kids down. And if she felt that the older ones weren't holding the kids down to her liking, then obviously they would get a beating also. That's sad. So the older kids basically just learned to comply. Yeah. Learn to be an accomplice. Yes. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's basically what they were, yeah. whether they wanted to be or not. Yeah. She would also, she would lick the ends of steak knives and then throw them at the kids to see if her aim was still good. She would lick the end of, of a, a steak, steak knife, knife. Mm-hmm. and then throw it at the kids to see if her aim was, was good. Mm. She would also tell the kids that Bob Knorr's family was involved in witchcraft. 
because at this time, if you remember in part one, when she met Chester, she was hanging out at the American Legion Hall mm -hmm. because Bob was hanging out there mm -hmm. and she had it in her mind that they were going to get back together, which obviously they didn't. <laughs> but in order to, I guess, keep the kids from getting curious and wanting to have something to do with their dad, she starts telling them, oh, well, they're involved in witchcraft to kind of... I guess, poison the kids' minds against their dad. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she's also, like I said, in part one, she was starting to put on weight and not looking like she used to do. So she's putting on weight. She's losing her looks because when she was younger, she was obviously, a, from what was described, a nice-looking lady. Yeah. Well, her daughters are getting older growing into their looks so the daughters are starting to become attractive yeah so i can see some jealousy coming there is from teresa yes there is definitely some jealousy mm -hmm. with that another thing that she would do to the kids was she would burn them with cigarettes okay yeah it really didn't go into detail about that about what would constitute being burned with a cigarette so i don't know if this was just as she was walking by and decided she was going to burn them or if this was also a sort of punishment. I'm not sure. Mm. But this this is what she would do. Horrible. Yes. Let's get into the kids and how they are at this time. Howard, her oldest, he didn't really follow her rules as far as they're not allowed to leave the house, I guess, except for school in church mm -hmm. and they're not allowed absolutely no friends can come to the house mm. in junior high and high school howard developed a reputation as a user and seller of all sorts of pharmaceuticals so <laughs> yeah okay and he dabbled in a little bit of everything teresa when she was working for the nursing homes she would bring home medicines and a stockpile, and he would sell those, he would sell weed, and... So just, she would seemingly steal mm -hmm. the prescription drugs from the patients mm -hmm. at the nursing home, mm -hmm. bring them to Howard. I don't know that she was actually bringing them to Howard, because we'll see later on that she kept a stockpile. Oh, I'm sure she did. You know, yeah, it's but a, probably for other reasons that we're probably not thinking of, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm maybe Howard was just helping himself to them. I'm not sure, it, it didn't go into detail about if she was giving them to Howard or if he just went and helped himself to them. I got you, yeah, and of course, you know, she's high and moral now, so she basically she looks the other way while he's doing this because he is at this time helping to pay the rent so he's bringing this cash home to her yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's okay because you know you're helping model citizen right the daughter susan which was her third child and she you remember um, me saying that her and chester had a good relationship that they would sit there and they would yep. discuss Politics, and, politics, yep. and all that, mm -hmm. and it's still said that she was bright enough. But she was sent to the only accelerated school in their district. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, she was good with numbers, and she would serve as a math tutor for her other siblings. Okay, that's good. Yeah, her siblings described her as strong-willed, quick-witted, and at this, as she was getting older, she was starting to have good looks, like I mentioned earlier. 
Well, after Teresa and Chester split, Susan and Teresa, at this point, they were getting along. They would take turns reading the Bible, and they also liked to read Stephen King books. Nice. Yeah, which I love Stephen King. Love so. Stephen King. Mm -hmm. Shout out. Right? But this was short-lived, this little bond. Because it was learned that, I, for some reason, well, I guess we kind of know why Teresa hated Chester, because... I think out of all the men, he was the one that actually got rid of her. Right. And she, yeah. yeah. He's the one who cast her aside, not right. the other way around. Yeah. Yep. So anytime anybody mentioned Chester's name and her presence, Teresa would just lose her shit. Mm -hmm. Well, Susan, and the only reason I can think of that she would start doing this is obviously the kids are abused and maybe it's just kind of like a dig at her mother. Like, okay, I'm going to get back at you like this. Mm hmm Susan would use Chester's name to just make Teresa Teresa actually act crazier. <laughs> yeah. So she would use him as a tool to get back she at Teresa. She would, to yeah. get under her skin. Mm -hmm. One of the stories that Susan would tell Teresa was that Chester was planning to initiate Susan into his witch's coven. Nice. Yeah. Susan said that Chester used to wear a black robe lined with red satin that was kept in a footlocker beneath his bed. <laughs> and then once Susan was a full-fledged necromancer, she was supposed to initiate her sisters, Sheila and Terry, into the black arts as well. Awesome. Right. Now, I can see Susan using this to kind of get under Teresa's skin. Like, I mean, obviously, this is probably the only way she knew how. Mm -hmm. But I don't think she probably really thought about what the repercussions would actually end up being. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, she obviously is not taking into consideration what Teresa's going to do. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It, you know, this could set her off mm -hmm. and it could just get really out of hand fast. Right. And we're going to see how it goes. Sheila, her second child, was slower and more intimidated. So she was more... Impressionable, maybe? Yeah. Easily like influenced? If Teresa said to do something, no back talk, just go and do it. Right. Kind of, kind of fell in line and just, mm -hmm. you know what, it's just better if I do right. what is asked of mm -hmm. me. And, I'll yeah. just kind of blend in the background. Right. And she was treated as a maid around the house. So a Cinderella story type yes. thing. Yep. Sheila's father was Cliff. He was a father of Sheila and Howard. And Cliff did have Cherokee blood. So Sheila and Howard, their features were different than the other four children who were Bob Norris children. Okay. They had sharper Indian features, mm -hmm. darker skin, and their hair was darker. And unfortunately, this caused Sheila, when she was at school, she was often called a dirty Indian, Ooh. which is very sad. It's nasty. And pisses me off. Yeah, I know. Yeah. William, he was the fourth child, Bob Norris' child. He was actually given preferential treatment because he closely resembled Bob in appearance. Okay. Because, like I said, Teresa at one point was going to try and get Bob back, even though he didn't fall for it. Mm -hmm. And she would still keep Bob's pictures around the house. <laughs> okay. Yeah. At age 10, William, he actually got a job, and he would turn his earnings over to his mother. At age 10? At age 10, which consisted of a paper route. Oh, okay. Yeah. But he would turn whatever he earned straight over to Teresa. Mm -hmm. 
And there were some mornings that he didn't want to get up out of bed to do his paper route. And if that happened, then Susan, Sheila, and Terry were forced to get up and do the paper route because we're not going to lose money for him not doing the paper route. Got to get them papers out there. Right. (laughs) And around the city that they lived in, there was a spring cleaning day, which, I mean, we have these around here. Sure. Yeah. And on this day, it was Sheila and Susan that were doing the paper route. So they're going through the neighborhoods and they're actually digging through the neighbor's trash bringing stuff home and the stuff that they brought home Teresa at first was like overjoyed with it because of a kitchen like little kitchen appliances and stuff and she's like oh we can clean these up and use them Mm -hmm. but as she's digging through it she comes across a book of mormon okay and it pisses her off and Susan was the one that actually grabbed it, and Teresa takes it as Susan did it on purpose, like, bringing home the Book of Mormon. So obviously she doesn't have a high opinion of the Book of Mormon. Right, okay. which it never said that Susan actually did that to make her mad. Um, I would assume that maybe Susan brought it home because she was actually interested in it and was going to read it. Mm-hmm. Because she didn't actually give it to Teresa, just was in all that stuff. Right. So Teresa gets mad and she calls it, and we're not talking about the Book of Mormon. This is her words about it, mm-hmm. that it was a demon book about a bunch of witches and shit. So she burns the book. And like I said, that was Teresa Nor's opinion. That was not our opinion. Right. So and since Susan brought that home, Teresa starts accusing her of selling her soul to Chester <laughs> because she brought home a Book of Mormon. Selling her soul to Chester. Uh-huh, because she brought home a Book of Mormon. Okay. Who has, the book has nothing about Susan or Chester or or selling your soul in it. Nope. So, Robert and Terry, they were the two youngest, and these were Bob Norris children also. And being the youngest, they would hang out together a lot because they were close in age. But Teresa would find ways to use their closeness against them. Um, before they were put on lockdown at the house, they would go places together. And when they would come back, Teresa would separate them and question them about what did y'all go do? Seeing if the stories differed. Right. Mm-hmm. And they learned at the beginning that if one of them differed just a little bit, she would punish whichever one was considered the transgressor. <laughs> Whether they were actually a transgressor or not, I don't know. But in her mind, they were. Yeah. And Robert actually told a story of one particular incident that him and Terry were supposed to be going to a birthday party of a friend from school. And they had bought the presents and stuff. When they left to go to the birthday party, they forgot the presents at home. And Teresa, seeing that they forgot the presents, starts thinking they weren't really going to a birthday party. They're probably going to go engage in some kind of sexual activity. Especially Terry. That's boys. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's what the boys do. Right. And Robert said when he got home, obviously she questioned them. Robert said he obviously was denying it. But the more Robert denied it, the more Teresa thought, oh, you're lying to me. So Teresa's thought was, okay, well, I'm going to give Terry, the youngest daughter, a haircut to make her less popular in school. So she shaved Terry's head. (laughs) Right. And it was after that incident that Terry dropped out of school. Oh, I mean, she can't go back to school like that. I mean, geez, she Mm -hmm. would, ugh. Yeah. It's horrible. The income that is coming to the house at this point is William's paper route. 
Howard's drug sales and Teresa is still receiving Social Security for Howard and Sheila from the first husband that she shot. And Teresa's like, we need more money. Mm -hmm. So she decides that she's going to sign Sheila up for SSI. And she starts coaching Sheila on what to say and how to act when she gets to the SSI office. Is this for, a, I guess, a mental yes, disability? Yes, disability. Yeah. Okay. And what they came up with was Sheila didn't bathe for a week. She didn't wear any makeup, wore the, the raggediest clothes she could find. And then went so far as smearing shit in her hair. Literal shit. Literal shit in her hair. When and she, she went, did this because her mother was trying to get disability. Oh, Sheila. Her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And also before this appointment, Sheila had also developed athlete's foot. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, That's going to get you a check. <laughs> right. So in addition to the smeared shit in her hair... She went to the appointment without shoes on and would, like, scratch her feet in mm. the middle of, I guess, her interview. Mm. And then they gave her a mental competency test. When she took that test, she deliberately answered the questions wrong so she would fail it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. So, obviously, she starts getting the disability. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of that, just the shit in your hair. I know, because oh I'm sure they God. were like, we yeah. got to get this out of here. But all that is still not enough money coming into the house. Greed. Greedy. Teresa then forces Sheila and Susan to start prostituting. Okay. Yeah. And how old are they, these two at this time? Susan's probably about 14, which means Sheila is 17 or 18. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. But anyways, the prostituting that they were doing, they obviously brought the money home and gave directly to Teresa. Mm -hmm. Which leads us to Susan quitting school <laughs> between 7th and 8th grade. Okay. And the reason for this was she would go to school, but she would cut classes because she wanted to go to the mall and hang out with her friends. Well... You know, you had said earlier that they were timed yes. going to school and stuff. Mm -hmm. So the only personal time that they could get away from their mother would be mm -hmm. to either, you know, go during that time frame. They would have to skip school. And also because, remember, they couldn't have friends over to the house. Right. And I would assume since they couldn't have friends over, they couldn't go to friends' houses. Mm -hmm. So she would go and she would hang out at the mall. Well, the school ended up contacting Teresa about Susan's absences, and Teresa confronted Susan. Well, instead of telling Teresa that she was going to the mall to play video games or whatever else her and her friends were doing, she tells Teresa that she was skipping school because she was going and having secret tryst with Chester and his warlocks. Secret what? Tryst. Meetings okay. with Chester and his warlocks. Hmm. Yeah, that did not go over well at all. Yeah, I'm sure it didn't. So at this point, Susan was made to quit school because she was no longer trusted to even go outside of the house. No. Susan, Teresa would go and check on Susan all hours of the night to make sure that she was still in her bedroom and not sneaking out. <laughs> One night when Teresa goes in there, she found strands of hair and some dried flakes of human skin in a bag under Susan's pillow. 
So I don't know where she got dried flakes of human skin from <laughs> or who they belong to. You know, that kind of goes along with the whole witchery thing. And, it, you know, you have to wonder after finding that if there's any truth to what she is saying to her mom about the meetings of the witches and all the stuff like this, you know? Yeah. And it eventually does come out. The other kids say, no, she was not involved in the witchery, then as Teresa that, called it. Then that actually it is more concerning that she found that. Right. And I think at this point, she Susan is still playing into, I'm driving this bitch crazy to get back at her. I got you. Yeah. When Teresa found that, she slaps Susan awake and demands to know what it's for. And Susan tells her that Chester needs it for one of his spells. See, that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. you either are buying into the whole witchery thing or you're buying into she is really going above and beyond to sell this to her mom. I think she's going above and beyond. I mean, we weren't there in that house sure. to experience everything that these kids experienced. So I'm, in my unprofessional opinion, I'm thinking that this is the only way she can find to like get under her mother's skin and get back at her. Then this is probably what she's going with. Although, like I said, I don't think she obviously knew how this was going to turn out just sure. by doing this. So that's exactly what I was going to say is she's not taking into consideration mm -hmm. how this is going to affect mm -hmm. even her future. Right. Crazy. After Susan tells Teresa that she was saving all that for a spell, Teresa tells Susan that she sold her soul and is no longer her daughter, and that now there is a demon inside Susan's body. I'm sure this infuriated Teresa. Yeah. Which, this is Teresa telling this to Susan. She told Susan, you're no longer my daughter. There is a demon inside your body. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Susan runs away from home, and she goes to a receiving home, which I didn't know what that was, so I Googled it. I Googled it, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like not really a foster home, but kind of like a place where troubled kids can go. Like a boarding house type thing? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. And when she gets there, she asks them to please contact her father because she's thinking, okay, I can go to my father. The receiving house didn't. I don't know why they didn't, but there's so many times in the story, it's like somebody could have done something. Absolutely. If you would have just done one thing. Well, and look, you find that in so many other cases. Yes. That if something was done or more was done mm -hmm. by law enforcement or other agencies or, you know, whoever, authorities, mm -hmm. whatever, that some of these things and some of these stories would not have happened or would right. not have been as bad or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, unfortunately, that's a very common thing to happen is nothing happens. Right. So, Susan, she, since they didn't contact her father, she ran away from the receiving home and she actually found a pimp. A pimp? She found her a pimp. It's hard out here for a pimp. <laughs> Unfortunately, she was seen, I guess, standing on the street corner, so she was picked up by a truancy officer and sent back to the receiving home. And they still probably did nothing. They did nothing. But when she gets back to the receiving home, they actually thought, maybe we need to send her to a psychiatric ward for an evaluation. And not her father. 
Right. Mm -hmm. So they sent her to the psychiatric ward for a more serious assessment. And when it's her time to go home, they call Teresa and they say, hey, she's ready to go home. And Teresa, before she goes and picks her up, she tells the other kids, I got to go pick her up because the receiving home says that she's a witch and they don't want her there no more. <laughs> yeah. And she is using this to her advantage she all is. over the place. Wow. Uh, Teresa and Terry are the ones that actually went to pick Susan up from the receiving home. And Terry was interviewed about this. And Terry said that um, when they got there, there was actually a counselor that came and told Teresa, Susan has these allegations of abuse against you. Oh. And Teresa said, no, Susan's a pathological liar. The counselor sees Terry standing there, and instead of taking Terry to the side, starts questioning her in front of Teresa and asks her. Of course she's not going to. Right. And she, the counselor asks Terry, are you being abused? Of course, Terry's going to be like, never. Wow. And Again, negligence. Right. That was handled so wrong. Right. So that's another point right there where something could have been done. Right. And other points that I didn't add in the story, but teachers at school, when they were all still in school, were suspecting because if they were in school, their grades weren't good or they skipped school all the time. So teachers would actually follow them home to kind of talk with Teresa about their home life. But when the teachers would get there... Nobody would answer the door. So the teachers ended up just giving up. So here's another failed instance of something that could have been done. Yep, that's crazy. After Teresa and Terry picked Susan up on the way home, Teresa told Susan, if you think you were abused before, you just wait. I'll show you what abuse is. Mm -hmm. They get home, and Teresa starts beating Susan up. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Except for this time, she had all the other kids line up, and one by one, they were forced to punch Susan in the stomach. Oh. Mm -hmm. So, not only are the kids made to be, you know, accomplices, they're also participating yeah. in the abuse. Mm -hmm. Yep. After this, from this night and every night thereafter, the kids would take turns watching over Susan while she slept to make sure she wouldn't leave. Which I don't understand why, because she was handcuffed to the headboard of her bed at night. So I don't know why the other kids were made to watch over her. And eventually, um, things went on as if that incident didn't happen. But Teresa was still accusing Susan of witchcraft. <laughs> and like I said earlier, Teresa was putting on weight. She's still putting on weight, except for now, it's not because she's getting older. It's because Susan is casting spells. Susan is According to Teresa. According to Teresa. The spells were to take whatever weight Susan had and put them on Teresa. So as Susan's losing weight, probably because she's not eating. Right. The weight is being transferred mm -hmm. to Teresa in Teresa's mind. Mm -hmm. mm. Right. They have a confrontation about this, uh, and Teresa called it witching. Susan was witching more I, pounds onto her. I call it projecting. Oh, good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. During this one particular argument, Teresa had Susan cornered in a hallway and was shouting at her. And she had already used a belt on Susan a couple of times. 
Teresa tells Robert, I need you to come restrain Susan. So Robert is walking over there. But before he gets there, Teresa has a gun and shoots Susan. She shoots her. She shoots her daughter. And Terry was also there watching this. And Terry said she remembers seeing Susan grab her chest, gasp, and fall backwards into the bathtub. Oh. Yeah. Oh, man. And Teresa leaves Susan in the bathtub for the next month. Teresa would go in there. and So watch. she's alive. She is alive. Okay. Teresa would go in there and doctor her up because, you know, she was a CNA. So she would doctor her up. Mm-hmm. And she would give her the medicines that she stockpiled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, she's shot in the bathtub being uh-huh. left there. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she's being doctored with Alzheimer's medication probably. Uh, there, or, uh, or you know, or something to that some nature. Some kind of medicine. I mean, if she's been stealing this medication from the nursing home, right? There's no telling what all she had. That's right. right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teresa did give uh, Susan some pillows to kind of prop her up with, and she covered her up with a blanket. But as far as food and stuff, that her siblings would have to take the food in there. And while she was in the tub, anytime that she actually needed to use the bathroom, she would have to use the bathroom in the tub. And the siblings would have to come and just wash it down the drain. She did survive. Okay. And now Teresa moves on to sprinkling holy water everywhere around the house. All right. And she's still gaining weight. Oh, I'm sure. And Teresa had a waterbed that actually mildewed because a little hole developed in it. As they do. As happens. But she says that Susan had slept on the waterbed one time, and that hole developed where Susan had slept. So, therefore, that's more witchery, more proof that Susan is evil. Mm. And Teresa's now thinking, she needs to be exercised. Well, I mean, you know, she's, again, projecting these happenings as they're being done by Susan. I mean, you know... Teresa could have just as easily poked that hole in the waterbed with her crusty-ass toenail. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying. I, right. I mean, I you mean know, there's no telling how it actually got there. That's right. Uh, you know, <laughs> she could have been having a dream in the middle of the night and went to chewing on the thing. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying. Right. Oh, my goodness. Her crusty-ass toenails. Well, well, she probably, if she's putting on this weight, all this weight, like she said, she probably couldn't reach her damn toes to cut her toenails. Well, that's, so I mean, that, probably, she's becoming this recluse. Right. And so, you know, typically a recluse, they don't really have the best hygiene. Right. Right. You know, yeah. so, you know, crusty-ass mm-hmm. toenails. <laughs> so, she gets this bright idea that Susan needs an exorcism, which, as we know, Exorcisms are done by the Catholic Church. Yeah, by a priest that is approved to do so by the Vatican. Right. And you still have to have documentation before they will approve it. The Vatican has to approve it with much, much Mm -hmm. investigation done. Yeah. That's right. Teresa goes to a Baptist church. Okay, then. Yeah. And, of course, you know, they said, um... Yeah, we don't do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, not so much Yeah, on the exorcist part right. thing. In the autumn of 1981, there's a family with twin girls that move into the house behind Teresa and the kids. Mm-hmm. 
Howard has a BB gun, the oldest son, that he likes to go out back and do target practice with in the backyard. Okay. Well, sometimes when he does that, the twin girls that moved in behind them will be outside playing, so they would get scared. And they would tell their mother. And their mother comes over one day and asks Howard, will you please stop? I mean, my kids are scared. And I don't know if he was actually doing anything like aiming at them or anything. So I really don't know why they were scared, but they just were. Mm. And Howard says, uh, no. Well, the mother of the twin girls was actually friends with a member of the Hells Angels. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So the Hells Angels get involved. What? Yeah. They show up on Teresa's doorstep. Did they kill everyone in the in the house? Well, they show up on the doorstep and they tell Teresa, uh, you got to go. Put your house up for sale. If you don't put this house what? up for Yeah. If you don't put this house up for sale, we're gonna trash your home and we're gonna beat your whole family to a pulp. And within a week Teresa had the house on the market. As she should have. <laughs> right. <laughs> now look, yeah, I, I'm not one to disrespect law enforcement or anything, but I'm also not one to disrespect the Hell's Angels. Yeah, you just don't mess with them. Or any other no. of the no motorcycle clubs. I'm gonna say motorcycle clubs out there because they don't give a shit. No. Mm-mm. So if you're obviously putting one of their loved ones' kids in jeopardy or something like that, they're coming for you, and they will do something. You better so, just give your ass to God. That's right. Right. Yep. You've yep. done pissed off the wrong people. <laughs> yeah, so within a week, the house, she put the house up for sale and sold it. Mm-hmm. And she, at this point, when she gets the money from the house, she did pay her sister Rosemary back. Good. Yeah. Good for her. Maybe she's turning over a new leaf. No. No. Okay. A few weeks after this, uh, Rosemary's husband, Joe, sorry, Goes on, he's just sorry. Okay. He he goes on a business trip. While he's gone, Rosemary's body is found in a ditch at the end of a service road. Where? In California. Okay. But he's gone. He's gone. He was gone on a business trip. Okay. While he's gone, her body is found. Okay. Yeah. He comes home, and he can't find her, so he does report her missing. Okay. And when he reports her missing, the sheriff's department or police department, I don't remember which one was handling it, put two and two together and they're like, oh, this is the same lady. Because when she was found, her purse and her truck were missing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they put it together. This is her. She died from manual strangulation. Mm. She was 39. Okay. Her husband and her living son, she does still, remember, she does still have one living son, they become suspects. Her son was actually eventually ruled out. The husband came on their radar because he immediately started inquiring about her life insurance. She had a $250,000 policy. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was back in 19 what? 82? 82 or 83. Okay. So that's uh, roughly a half a million dollars right, in today's standards. Right, that's a lot standards. of money back mm-hmm. then. Okay. And while the husband is being investigated, they find out that he liked to go visit hookers and have been doing it for years. So he's already not looking good. But that doesn't make him a killer. No, but he's already not looking good. 
And the fact that he doesn't hold down a job also. Still doesn't make him a killer. I know, but. I know. I, I, it goes along with, you know, probably bad character. Okay, but right. still. I think they're just pointing to his character. Yeah. Yeah. You have to escalate a pretty good ways from renting a hooker to killing, right. a, you know, your wife. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Unless they're trying to say that he's paying for hookers because he's tired of his wife and now he wants her out of the way. Anyways, they ended up not being able to tie her husband to it. Okay. So, he gets the life insurance money, he sells her house, sells her antique stores, and he moves off. And the case just goes on the shelf. So, okay, so it's never solved for right now? For right now. Okay. Yeah. So, Teresa, she sold, you know, she sold the house, they move into an apartment, and she's still the same. Now, she has developed a daily ritual of weighing in. And at this point, she had made it to 240 pounds. Okay. Which, to me, is not a lot, but she was described as very short. So dumpy. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm thinking, you know, obviously, since she's so short, that 240 pounds looks different than a taller person being 240 pounds. Sure. And Susan's she's starting to get thinner. Now, let's not forget the fact that she laid in the tub for a month. Yeah, shot. Right. So, she lost a lot of weight when that happened, and Teresa is getting fatter. So, this goes more along the lines of Susan's doing the witchery. My goodness. Well, Teresa decides that since Susan's getting thinner, she's going to start force-feeding Susan. Okay. Which makes no sense, because if in your mind, any weight that she gains, she's putting on you. Yeah. Why, why do you want her to gain weight to just witchery on to you? Maybe maybe she's thinking, the more I feed her, the faster I feed her, you know, I can make her gain weight and therefore reverse and, and then make me lose weight. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe that's what she's thinking. Right. She resorts to start force-feeding Susan, and she would feed her so much that Susan would actually start throwing up mm-hmm. into the bowl that she was being fed out of, and she would be forced to eat that too. Oh. Yeah. Oof. And, you know, I told you that Teresa had made Susan and Sheila a prostitute because she wanted that money. Well, now Teresa is getting it in her mind that when Susan was prostituting, she wasn't prostituting for the money. She's trying to find a way to get out the house, which I don't blame her. I don't blame her. trying to find a way to get out the house, too. But the whole reason that she's out there prostituting and stuff is because your ass put her out there to prostitute. Yeah, you just bring up a, a very good point. Uh-huh. Teresa forced her to go out there, yes. but then starts accusing her of looking for a way out. That's why she's out there prostituting. You put her there, lady. You put her in that position. So well, yeah. you, need to, you need to turn that finger to yourself. Oh, Teresa. Mm. And when Teresa gets this in her mind, that Susan's trying to find a way out the house, Susan's beatings increase. This lady's a piece of shit. This lady's a piece of shit. And at this point, I'm kind of like, I really wish Susan was doing some kind of witchery yeah, no, <laughs> on her. Maybe, yeah. We need to send Marie Laveau to her and, yes. and get some voodoo cast on Teresa. This is we bullshit. Need, yes. Uh-huh. Susan would be forced to kneel for hours staring at the floor. And whenever Teresa would walk by, she would try and knock Susan over using her fist. And if she did knock Susan over, Susan would have to get back up on her knees. 
And she was no longer chained to the bed because she was forced to start sleeping on the dining room floor. And while she's on her knees staring at the floor, she had to raise her hand and ask for permission to use the bathroom. And also, she's no longer allowed to call her Teresa her mother, which at this point, I wouldn't be calling Teresa my mother either. I don't know. And she's forced to call Teresa Mrs. Nor because Teresa just refused to allow a demon to call her mother. I'm sorry, but this lady has not done anything to deserve the respect of being called Mrs. Anything. Right. Especially Nor, who is, you know, Bob's... Right. That's Bob's name, and she hasn't deserved to even be called that. So She don't even deserve to be called mother. No. Well, one night, Teresa is in a fury fighting with Susan, and Susan had her back turned, so Teresa throws a pair of scissors at Susan, and they lodge in Susan's back. Oh, my God. And this turns out, according to Teresa, being Susan's fault because Susan provoked her to throw the scissors. It's your fault because you were there. Right. Wow. Teresa did dress the wound, and after that happened, they began talking, and Susan actually worked up the nerve and asked if she could leave. And she told Teresa, you don't like me, so you don't want me here. Why can't I just leave? Right. And this poor girl, in her mind, she's wanting to go to Alaska because she's wanting to become a hooker for the men that were working on the Alaska Pipeline. And it's sad that that's your thought. I, I know. That you want to leave and just become a hooker. That's how you're going to support yourself. Well, look, anything has to be better than staying and in, you're right. in that abusive house. Teresa did agree, but she wanted to remove the bullet that Susan still had in her from where Teresa shot her. Because that was evidence. Right. Because she was like, okay, you're going to get out of here. And you're going to go around telling people I was abusive, and you're going to show them this bullet that's still lodged in your body. But Susan, she is like, obviously, she's really wanting to get out. Hell, I would be, too. She agrees that Teresa can get the bullet out. Okay. So, Teresa, the surgery, they did the surgery on the kitchen floor. I don't know if I would call it a surgery, but okay. It's not really a surgery, but the way this started was Susan was given a handful of melaryl, and I'm not sure that's the correct way to pronounce it. And I did research, and melaryl was used to treat certain mental or mood disorders. So, obviously, she got these from the nursing home. Again, she's using medication from a nursing home to treat Anything. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's probably not being, it's probably, well, yeah, it's probably not having the effect that the right medication needs to have. Right. So she downed those with a quart of hard liquor. The hard liquor was what the medicine that she, you know. That, and they probably didn't need to be mixed anyways. Well, probably not. Yeah. Teresa grabbed an X-Acto knife and ordered 15-year-old Robert to cut into his sister's back and get the bullet out. And Robert stated that while he was doing this, that he had to cut some of the muscle, and he stated that it was kind of stringy and hard, but he was surprised because there was not really a lot of blood. And he said this out loud to Teresa about there not being as much blood as he thought it was going to be. And Teresa said that, well, Susan hadn't been alive for some time. She's among the undead, and she's being animated by a demon. So she's a zombie. Right. That is taken over by a demon. 
Right, which is why she didn't bleed that much. Mm. Mm-hmm. Susan did wake up the next day groggy and in pain, obviously. Yeah. She, for the next week, she was fed antibiotics from that stockpile, anti-inflammatories, and painkillers from that stockpile. Probably used at the nursing home for arthritis. Probably. The Melaril, the mental mood disorder medicine, was tossed in from time to time because Teresa said it helped subdue Susan's demons. Now, I can I can see it basically calming her down, a mood suppressant. Right. Yeah, so... She could no longer eat, and the only way she could drink was if someone held her head and poured the liquid down her throat. And she's gotten so bad that she asked Teresa, can we please take her to the doctor? And Teresa was like, ugh. No, because if we take her to the doctor, then I'm going to go to jail because I've done beat her so badly. And, you know, I shot her and I was trying to get the bullet out of her where I shot her. So that was absolutely out of the question. And Teresa tells Sheila, if you're so worried about it, you sit up at night and you take care of her. (laughs) Right. And Sheila does. And unfortunately, out of everything that Sheila was doing and the baby sister, Terry, did help. Susan had gotten to the point where she couldn't control her bowels. So Sheila and Terry had made some kind of makeshift diapers that they would put on her Mm. to kind of help her out. Help her out. I say help her out, I guess, to keep her from messing all over herself on the floor. Horrible. On the day of July 15th, Teresa finally made her decision on how they were going to handle this situation. Bill stated that he had come home from work and he had noticed that Teresa had packed all of Susan's stuff into plastic bags. And she tells them, we're going on a car ride. They all load up in the car, all the kids. They're going to the train station? Going to the train station. Mm -hmm. And if you watch Yellowstone, you know what we're talking about. That's right. They're going to the train station. They drove to Sierra Nevada along Interstate 80. When they get there... Bill and Robert were ordered to carry Susan down the down um, that little uh, embankment. Yeah, embankment. And Teresa carried the trash bags, and they laid it all out. And Teresa poured gasoline all over the trash bags and Susan, and she lit the match. So back at the beginning of the story, this was Susan that was found. That was basically smelling her own burning flesh as right. she was dying. It was Susan that was burned alive. They get back home, and Sheila was ordered to clean up the mess in the dining room where Susan has spent her final days. Uh, At the beginning, this happened, like I said, on July 15th. At the beginning of August, Bill is kicked out of the house. And this came about with Robert, the fifth child, was taking the rent check to the landlord for the apartments that they were living in. Mm -hmm. And one of the neighbors happened to be standing outside and was like, hey, what you doing? (laughs) And Robert's like, I'm going to pay the rent. And the neighbor was like, I thought Bill paid the bills for the house. And so Robert gets home to Teresa, and he was like, ooh, guess what Bill's going around saying? (laughs) Just by something simple that the neighbor said. Well, Teresa takes this as Bill's going around saying that he's paying my bills, which... Which he is. Yeah, that's what I was fixing to say. Actuality, he actually was. Oh, my God. And it pisses her off. And she tells Bill when he gets home, get out. How dare you tell the truth? How dare? Right. And so she tells him, you're telling everybody you're paying our bills. You get out. You pay your own bills. And he is not allowed to take anything with him. And I bet you that he was ecstatic. 
Bill said that this was the best thing to ever happen oh, to my, him. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. All that Teresa is left with now, because Bill has moved out, Howard has already moved out, poor Susan is dead, so it's just Teresa, oldest daughter, Sheila, Terry, and Robert. That's it. They're living in this apartment, and next to this apartment is like a trailer park. Mm-hmm. And there's this old man that lives there in a travel trailer. His name is Lucian King. That's an awesome name. Right. And he chose to live in a travel trailer because he was a gold nugget dealer. And he he was pretty profitable on this. So his thought is he's in his travel trailer. Anytime he needs to travel anywhere and kind of do his gold nugget dealings, he can just take his travel trailer and easily move. Yeah. So it's not like he's there because he's poor. Mm -hmm. Well, some of his less valuable gold nuggets, he would kind of leave laying around. Well, Teresa's like, hey, your travel trailer's kind of dirty. Why don't you let me come clean it for you? (laughs) And he's like, sure. Well, she started pocketing any of the gold nuggets that he had laying around. He had his more expensive ones worth more money. They were locked up. Mm -hmm. But the smaller ones, she would pocket. And he eventually was like, uh, you can't be coming over here no more. You're stealing my shit. And she, yeah, so she has the idea, you know, this is money coming in. And she tells him, well, I got a daughter, Sheila. Why don't we let her come and start cleaning? And Lucian's like, yeah, okay, that'll work out better. Well, Sheila was like, heck yeah, I'm going to go clean because I want to get out of this house. Mm Mm-hmm. And, of course, obviously, any money that Sheila made went directly to Teresa. Mm-hmm. But Sheila didn't care because she was like, I'm getting out this damn house. Oh. So, Sheila did take up the cleaning. And, you know, I just said this was Teresa's idea for Sheila right. to go start yeah. cleaning. Well, Teresa's like, Sheila's not bringing me all the money. She's putting some of this money back because she wants to go be a hooker in Alaska, too. Oh, come on now. Right. None of this was on Sheila's mind. Sheila had actually fell in love with an Indian, a British Columbian Indian named Chief that lived in the trailer park. Okay. Yeah. He actually lived at the back of the trailer park, um, and he actually did live the native way. So. Other than being in a trailer. (laughs) Right. Well, Sheila is one of the oldest kids. Right. And she's the one that has the features of a Native American like her dad, Cliff. Yep. Okay. So, it kind of makes sense that those two meet and... Right. Yeah. Yep. Are together. Chief would wear his hair in braids, and he was in good physical condition, and he lived simply. So, Sheila was like, oh, we're destined to be together. And by this time, Sheila was no longer the dirty Indian that the asshole kids at school called her. Right. She had become a petite young woman, and her siblings described her as having a beautiful voice, beautiful hair, beautiful skin. Because, you know, Native Americans, they have very pretty skin, very pretty complexion. That's right, yep. And Sheila was like, Chief is here because we're meant to be together. And before she could catch Chief's eye, Teresa started accusing her of, now we're not putting money away to go to Alaska now you're just straight out having a thing with Lucian King, an old man. An old man. Mm-hmm. And Sheila denied. She's like, uh, no, I'm not. And Teresa obviously don't believe her because, you know, Teresa knows all and starts calling Sheila names, telling her that she's she is now a whoring, demon-infested slut. Oh, my God. 
And the demon comes in because one day Sheila is out actually running errands for Teresa and she's riding a bike <laughs> and she's not paying it. And I'm laughing because she's not paying attention where she's going. And a hearse is backing out and bumps into her. And she was not hurt. So I, that made her a demon? Actually, when Sheila gets home, she's laughing about it because she was not hurt. Well, Teresa becomes convinced that when Sheila was hit by the hearse, her soul was knocked out of her body and something else jumped in. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. This lady is just clueless. Right. Sheila's beatings got worse. She was done like Susan, forced to sit on her knees with her hands in her lap for hours. She actually wasn't allowed to look at or talk to anyone. And if she moved, she was tied up with strips of sheets. Teresa would refuse to untie her, so Terry would sometimes beat her. Mm. Teresa became convinced that she had actually contacted chlamydia from using the same toilet sheet as Sheila. What? Yeah, it's like, you forced her to go out there and become a prostitute. And at this time, she's no longer prostituting because she was cleaning Lucian's travel trailer. Which you pretty much let that job go because right. you were stealing. Right. So how did you get chlamydia? Anyways, she, Teresa didn't have chlamydia. It's ridiculous. But she com became convinced that she had chlamydia and that Terry had gotten chlamydia. Mm. And Teresa took Terry to a doctor in Nevada because she didn't want to go in California because she didn't want anybody knowing their business. And when the doctor is actually doing the exam on Terry, Teresa is down there watching because when she gets home, she starts doing the exams on Terry and Sheila. But needless to say, Terry didn't have chlamydia either. Nobody had chlamydia. Mm. Sheila eventually did refuse to eat, and then Teresa took over her feedings. Same way as she did with Susan, except for Sheila's feedings were more forceful that Sheila actually ended up with her front teeth broken. Front? What? Yeah, from shoving the spoon or the fork in her mouth. And while this is going on, Sheila is still holding on to the hope that she's going to get away and she's going to be with Chief. And I want her to. I yeah. want these two to be together. Right. We're now about probably, it's about a year after Susan's death and Sheila and Teresa, they get in an argument because Sheila's not eating. Robert is there at the house and Robert was instructed to hold Sheila while Teresa argues with her and Teresa slaps her. So Robert's holding Sheila, Teresa slapping her, Sheila kicks out, I would have too, mm -hmm. and kicks Teresa in the, in the shins. And Teresa's like, oh my God, she broke my shin. Oh my goodness. Her shin was not broken. Dramatic. Mm -hmm. So Robert lets Sheila go, and Teresa tells Robert, call your brother Bill, because you remember he was kicked out, tell him to come over tonight. I wouldn't have gone over, uh-uh. Bill goes. Robert and Bill grab Sheila and they shove her in the linen closet in the bathroom and lock her in there. Mm. And Sheila's in there and she's begging to get out. This is the 80s, so the apartment had no air conditioner. So this linen closet was hot. It was a two-by-foot space and it was about four feet deep. Okay. A few days after Sheila is shoved in there, Teresa leaves the house and Terry, the youngest sister, is the only one there. And she takes it as an opportunity to go and open the door. She's like, I need to give Sheila something to drink. All they had in the house was beer. <laughs> but she goes and she opens the door. 
and Sheila just kind of falls out of the closet. Her hands were tied and she was half naked. She was sweaty, she was hot, and Terry said she looked really bad and I didn't realize that she was actually dying at this time. And Terry sat there with her and she was crying and she wanted she wanted to give her the beer, but Sheila wouldn't take it. And Teresa ends up coming home and Terry shoved Sheila back in the closet so that way she doesn't get caught and she get in trouble. Right. Robert was interviewed, the youngest brother, and he's like, he said, I don't remember how long Sheila was in the closet. He's like, it might have been two weeks, maybe longer. He's like, but it eventually began to smell in the apartment. I'm sure. And he described it as if you ever let a chicken defrost in your sink, you know, where it bleeds into the water, and then you leave that in there for a few days, that's the smell. That's what the oh. apartment smelled like. Oh. Yeah. So now, they live in an, in an they apartment. They live in an apartment. And, you know, you got to think that the neighbors are. You would think. This. Yeah. So Teresa calls Bill over. I don't know why Bill kept coming over. If I was him, when she kicked me out, I'd be like, fuck you, bitch. Yeah, I mean, I they live in California. Yes. If I was Bill, I would have moved to New York. Right. Or Maine. Yeah. So Bill comes over. Bill opens the closet. And when he opens the closet, all Sheila's wearing is a pair of underwear. Her knees were pulled up to her chest. She's in a fetal position. So Teresa goes and grabs a box. And Bill and Robert had to grab Sheila out of the closet. And they both said when they tried to lift her out, her flesh was sticking to the floor of the closet. That's how long she had been in there. <sighs> and Teresa lined, got a large box. She lined it with pillowcases, but she examined them pillowcases to make sure there wasn't no damn hair on it because she didn't want to be traced. And the boys put Sheila down in the box, and Teresa tapes the box shut with duct tape. So I'm assuming she's dead. She's, well, I said her flesh was sticking to the floor. The yeah, closet. I know. Yeah. That's kind of what tipped me off is. Yeah. Yeah, man. And nobody said anywhere in the story how long she was dead in the closet. She had already started smelling, so I would assume it had to have been for a few days, maybe. Yeah, it had to, with her flesh sticking yeah. to the floor, yeah. yeah. So Bill and Robert and Teresa put the box in the vehicle. Here they go again. Teresa's trying to find a, a place. They pull up on a road, and Bill and Robert get out of the vehicle with shovels, and they're going there starting to dig a hole. A cop car pulls up. Hallelujah. I, that's what I was hoping. No. There was two officers in this cop car. One gets out, and he walks to the door of the vehicle, because, you know, Teresa's ass ain't got out. Uh-huh. She's still sitting in the vehicle. She's not going to get her hands dirty. Right. He's up there talking to Teresa, so the... Bill and Robert, they're hurrying up and they're trying to get back to the car because they left, um, I guess this is kind of like a station wagon. So they said like the back back door was left open. Okay. So the smell is like getting out of the vehicle. And the cops had to have smelled this. The cops did not smell it. What? I, and from what the boys described, maybe because it was a windy night or maybe, I mean, they're near the mountains. Maybe the mountain air kind of hit it. Uh, but that was their concern. So they rushed back to the vehicle to throw the shovels back in there before the other cop, the second cop, could notice. And mm -hmm. he never noticed they had shovels. And Teresa tells the cops... Oh, well, they, the boys had to use the bathroom. And the cops were like, well, this is a private road. You need to get off this road. Mm. 
So they weren't caught. And Teresa drives around for a little bit, and they found a lake near a campground. And Bill and Robert took the box out of the car and dropped it. In she, the lake? No, next to the lake. Mm. Yeah. Sheila's body was found the next morning, and her body was in such an advanced state of decomposition that it was hard to determine her actual cause of death. The doctor that did the autopsy on Susan's body actually did the autopsy on Sheila's body also. Okay. But he didn't connect them as being related because Susan looked like Bob Knorr. She was blonde, big boned. And she had died from being burned alive. Mm -hmm. And Sheila was brunette and tiny and could have died from half a dozen causes. And it wasn't because she was burned. So they didn't connect them to at that time. So Sheila's gone from the apartment, from the closet, but the smell is still in the apartment. Oh, yeah. And Teresa, she's starting to get paranoid. Obviously, there's fluids and stuff still in this apartment, in that closet, mm -hmm. that this can be connected to her. So, she packs everything up, because now it's just Teresa, Robert, and Terry. Mm -hmm. And she tells Terry, light this apartment on fire. Apartment with uh -huh. other right. neighbors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Light this apartment on fire. So, Terry lit the apartment on fire. Well, other neighbors noticed the fire, so the fire department gets there quickly, so the apartment did not receive as much damage as Teresa wanted. And, uh, and actually, the closet received no damage at all. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But, of course, this turns into Terry didn't do her job right. And because the fire department can obviously tell that the fire was started, so they start questioning Teresa and stuff, and she's like, no. And she blames it on Howard, her oldest son, mm -hmm. who at this point is actually in jail for um, child abuse. Oh. Yeah, because he's married at this point and actually has a child. Okay. And he's in jail for child abuse, so she tries to blame it on him. Well, they did some investigating, and they're like, well, hell, he couldn't have done it because he's in jail. Yeah. So when they go back to question her some more, her and Robert and Terry have left. Oh. Skip town. Skip town. Well, Teresa's still mad because Terry didn't do what the hell she was supposed to do. And so she starts trying to beat Terry. Well, at this point, Terry's 15. And she's like, I've had enough. So she starts hitting back at Teresa. Oh, heck yeah. And Teresa tells Robert, uh, you need to hold her down. Well, if you remember, Ter Terry and Robert are close. Yeah. And Robert's like, yeah, I'm not holding her down. So, Teresa's like, well, fine, then you just leave. So, Terry leaves. She's 15. So, out of all the kids, the only one that at this point that Teresa's left with is Robert. Mm -hmm. That's it. Teresa and Robert, they moved to Las Vegas. Robert is now 16. And he said that since he was the only one left with Teresa, Teresa was more demanding of him. And Teresa would say everyone else had flown the coop, and she was paranoid that the cops were going to bust in and arrest her because the kids were going around telling everybody how evil she was, whereas she was the one that had the wicked kids. Right. Yeah. And they had they got money by Robert. He bust tables and washed dishes at, like, little, I guess, cafes. Mm -hmm. But Teresa was still getting Sheila's social security checks because, obviously, she can't turn in, hey, I killed my daughter, so y'all need to cut her check off. Okay. Yeah. So she was still getting all that. 
In November of 91, Robert was actually arrested after he fatally shot a bartender in a Las Vegas bar. Him and a buddy of his attempted to rob it, and he was sentenced to 16 years in prison. And shortly after he was arrested, Teresa relocated to Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. Yeah. When Terry moved out at 15, she moved in with an older man, and they spent their money on booze and drugs, and the landlord kicked them out because they weren't paying the rent. And from then, she would bounce back and forth with acquaintances. She did find an older friend who did turn her into the Sacramento County CPS Mm -hmm. because, I mean, she's 15. Yeah. So they would kind of like put her around from foster care and group homes. And when she was going in and out of this, she would speak to her counselor and tell them what happened. Oh, I hope so. Nobody believed her. What? She was not believed. Mm -mm. At 16, she did get in contact with Bob, her father Bob, and moved in with him. And you remember I told you uh, Teresa would tell the kids stories about Bob and his family being a witchcraft and all this. So Terry and Bob couldn't really build a relationship because... I mean, at this point, Terry's kind of poisoned against him by Teresa. But she's, she went to him, though. She did, yeah. And Bob would ask about the other kids. And Terry told him that Susan was in Alaska and hadn't been heard from for years. And Sheila had eloped with an Indian to Canada. That's where she explained them to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Over the years, Terry was married three times. She tried to overdose twice, and she had multiple tubal pregnancies, and she was eventually told that she wouldn't be able to have kids. Mm, That's sad. And one night, Terry had gotten drunk and was watching America's Most Wanted, and she called them and told them about Teresa and her crimes, and they told her that they couldn't really do anything with the story because they basically get the story after it's been investigated and all that. But they told her if you could remember the county where the crimes happened, call them. Okay. So she did. And she left a message uh, with a, a desk sergeant because who she needed to speak to wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But he did call her back the next day. And she was telling him her story. And he was like, well, I think this is going to be another county. He's like, let me get in touch with them and we'll get back with you. Mm-hmm. So she eventually, Terry eventually receives a call from Sergeant John Fitzgerald from Placer County. And when he calls Terry, he told her, he's like, I've been waiting on a phone call like this for years. Oh, yeah. So Terry started telling him everything she knew. Fitzgerald said she was very emotional, very upset. And he's like, all I could do was just sit there and let her talk. Yeah. And the more she talked the more he said, I felt like she knew what she was telling, what she was talking about. So the following day, Fitzgerald and Inspector Johnny Smith flew to Salt Lake City. Because at this time, Terry is living in Salt Lake City also. And come to find out, her and Teresa are living not even 10 miles from each other. Really? But neither one of them knew it. Oh, my goodness. Right. They go to Terry. They tape her statement, sitting at the dining room table. They go back to California, and they get warrants for Teresa, Robert, and Bill's arrest. Mm -hmm. They're charged with two counts of first-degree murder and two counts of conspiracy to commit murder. Mm. 
William was arrested in Woodland, California, where he had been living and working. Robert Jr. was charged while he was obviously still in prison for the bartender's murder. Mm -hmm. Teresa was arrested at her home in Salt Lake City. She was working as a caretaker. A caretaker. A caretaker. Bud Sullivan was the man that hired Teresa to take care of his 86-year-old mother. And he was absolutely stunned by Teresa's arrest. Bud said, I can't say anything bad about Teresa. Mm. She was here 24 hours a day, and we consider her part of our family. Yeah, it's just odd that somebody, you know, this person that has done this yeah. and other people know her as this, you know, she's working for this person now. And, and taking they, care of and somebody. And taking care of somebody, and, and they can't see a bad thing about her. If you remember, kind of the same thing went along those same lines with Henry Lee Lucas when he was working in Jacksonville, Florida. Why? You know, people down there thought mm -hmm. he was a hardworking, nice person, you know, and all mm -hmm. this. And he was committing all these supposed murders all right. over the country. So, you know, you see that a lot. And it's like, why couldn't you be that way with your own family? Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Teresa wasted, obviously wasted no time claiming her innocence. Oh, yeah. And she refu actually refused to return to California. She chose to stay in a Salt Lake City jail until she was actually extradited. Mm. So John Fitzgerald flew back to Utah to bring T Teresa back to California. This foe, Teresa, requested that she be escorted back by a train or a car because she had a sinus infection and didn't want to fly. Okay, then. Fitzgerald put her ass on that plane. Mm. Yeah. At Teresa's arraignment, she demands that the court address her by her maiden name. When she was arraigned, she was formally charged with two counts of murder, two counts of conspiracy to commit murder, and two special circumstances, which were multiple murder and murder by torture, mm -hmm. which these counts could result in the death penalty. Bill and Robert, they were juveniles when these crimes were committed. So neither one of them were going to face the death penalty because they were going to be tried as juveniles. Okay. Robert quickly struck a deal. He would testify against Teresa for reduced charges. Good for him. Yeah. And he ended up with all the charges for Susan's murder dropped and was left with one count of conspiracy to aid his mother in the murder of Sheila. So they sentenced him to three additional years to run concurrently with his 16-year sentence okay. from the other, the robbery. Mm-hmm. William was sentenced to probation in order to undergo therapy for participating in Sheila's murder. Wow. Teresa was examined by three psychologists. One of them diagnosed her as suffering from a multiple personality disorder. The other two diagnosed her as a malingerer, and I had to Google that. Yeah. And that is a person who pretends to be sick especially in order to avoid work or responsibilities. <laughs> okay. Them two also diagnosed her as someone who might behave like a dissociative mental case, but she actually had a genuine grasp of reality and definitely knew the difference between right and wrong, oh, which yeah. we figured that out yeah. because she didn't want Susan to go to That's the doctor right. yep. after being shot. Yeah, she knew the trouble that was going to come right. from that, so she knew. Teresa was seen by the prosecution as a narcissist and totally self-involved, and I do agree with I, that. I agree I with that. that. Yeah, absolutely. Teresa's only focus in life is her comfort, welfare, and well-being. 
I uh-huh. see that too. Yep. And she had initially pled not guilty, but when she heard that the prosecution made a deal with Robert, she decides that she might better do a bargain because if she actually goes to trial, she could face the death penalty. Oh, absolutely. So she did plead guilty, and since she pled guilty, they waived the death penalty. In 1995, she was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences, and she with the eligibility of parole in 2027. So I did some little digging because this book was written, I think, in the 90s to see where we're at today. Mm-hmm. This bitch is still alive. But in jail. Yes, okay, she's good. in jail, but this bitch is still alive. Damn. So you have... Susan that you killed, Sheila that you killed, but your ass is still alive. Right. I just, uh -uh. Mm uh-uh. That is insane. Right. Daughter Terry, she did gain notoriety, obviously, because she was courageous by coming out with her story, even though she had been told by counselors and stuff that she was not telling the truth. She did go on TV shows, and she had a dream of opening a home for abused children Mm -hmm. in the name of her sisters. That's good. Unfortunately, Terry died in 2011 of a heart attack. Terry mm-hmm. died, died of a heart attack yeah. in 2011, but she, Teresa is still alive. Is still alive. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what to say to that. Yep. That's the story of Teresa Nor. Oh, that is bullshit. That bitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't Killed even... Killed her kids. Killed her kids. Like I was saying before we got to uh, Susan's death, obviously she couldn't have known that, you know, the whole witchery stuff and that she was playing into, that it would lead to I know. That. But, I mean, for her to be killed the way that she was killed. Right. And then for Sheila to -hmm. be killed the way that she was killed. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are gruesome ways to die. Yeah. And so... Both of them were basically surrounded by no one when they died. Yeah. One of them set a fire. One of them left in a dark closet to die. Mm -hmm. I I just, I have no words as to to how these these children were treated and then ultimately were put to their death. And these poor kids. I mean, you did this to your daughters and then you expected your other kids to come and help you clean up the mess. Well, not only that, you expect you forced them to yeah. take part yeah. in this. Yep. And not thinking about how that's going to affect their mental state. Yep. And things, so they have to live with that. Obviously, Terry doesn't, but the, the you know the boys they right. have to live with what they did to their siblings. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. And you know, I mentioned that Howard at the time of the house fire he was in jail for child abuse yeah i mean obviously he shouldn't have been abusing a child but at the same time look how he was raised i mean that's what he knows right uh, from you know the the abuse of all of his siblings right and he so, knows no different no he doesn't and so you know you, you kind of on one hand you're like well it's, it was bound to happen but in the same way he shouldn't have done it Right. You know, you should have grown to learn to know better. Right. I um, I don't even know what to say. That is a, a horrible story. Yeah. Mm, it's gruesome. Yeah, and I even double-checked today before we recorded this, just to double-check, and that bitch is still alive. That's crazy. Yeah. I wish, you know, she would die. 
Well, thank you for that. And, and I guess this concludes the, the, that concludes the story, that story of Teresa Knorr. That so, was just horrible. Yeah. So stay tuned because we have other podcasts that we're recording. Yes. I'm actually doing some research on a story. Mm-hmm. And I know that you are working on a story. I am. And I just uh, finished it. Hopefully we'll get that recorded very soon and get yeah, it uploaded because i'm excited to learn about it because he don't tell me what he's researching <laughs> yeah i have to hear it with everybody else it is uh it, it's going to be gruesome i'll just say <laughs> oh, that i've, I've okay. got the the details of the of how the victims were brutalized and found mm. and so um stay tuned for that again this story about Teresa noor it, it was just horrible so and for those that may not know, we have created a Facebook page. Yeah. It's Criminally Disturbed. Yeah. And also, don't forget that we do have an email address. It's cdisturbedpodcast.gmail.com if you need to reach out or if you have any ideas on a story that we should do. That's right. Absolutely. We would uh, love to hear some of your stories, some short stories that we right. can probably put together. Folklore, yeah. uh, ghost stories. In, in one of those little mini CDs that yeah. we were talking about. Definitely want to get something from you guys. Uh, definitely continue to listen. And remember that if this second part of Teresa Nord didn't make you pissed, <laughs> yeah. sick to your stomach, right. or want to rip her hair out from her head, mm-hmm. or just kill her yourself, yep. then you just might be criminally disturbed. That's right. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Bye.